Welcome to Ahead of the Curve, a breakout investor podcast. Today, we have one of our hardest working community members, the amazing Kevin Crawford, back with us to update on events at Vertra, ticker VTSI. Uh, But before that, a disclaimer, no one on this call is an investment advisor and no one is providing investment advice. This podcast is for information purposes only. Before investing in any company stock, you must do your own research. Supporting materials for today's discussion will be posted on the Breakout Investors Discussion app, which can be accessed via your browser at app.breakoutinvestors.com, or you can download the mobile app by visiting the Apple or Android stores. The application and much of the research content is free. Now to Vertra and Kevin. Kevin, would you mind uh, getting us started? It's been a while since we talked. Could you just remind the listeners uh, what Vertra does uh, and why the community should be interested in it? Thanks for the introduction, Scott. Uh, Vertra provides training simulators to police throughout the U.S., as well as I think there are are in 40 different uh, countries across the world. And I think they say they're the most realistic simulation provider uh, in the industry. Top of the line, most expensive simulator used by the majority of federal agencies, uh, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Now on that, I've I've had uh, the the privilege of of trying it out. I visited the company a year or so ago, and it's a it's a three hundred degree, I believe, screen. So it's it's not like you're standing in front of a screen. You you step into a room essentially, and you've got screens more or less, you know, uh, uh, covering what's in front of you and what you can see on the periphery. And uh, you know, I, when I was doing it, I was moving. I might move 10 feet to my left, um, just trying to act like I would if I were actually on the ground in the scene that I was going through. And they've got a lot of scenes with real actors uh, and you have a real firearm in your hand and they put you through scenarios, de-escalation or, you know, all the way up to a school shooting scenario where you're going through the building looking for the shooters so that you can engage them and stop them. Uh, when you say that it, uh, it it purports to be the most realistic, I can tell you it's very realistic. Uh, you really get pulled into these uh, these situations. Your heart is beating, uh, and uh, the excitement is real, uh, and the experience is um, uh, real in the sense that if you, if it's the situation has you pulling the trigger, you pull the trigger, uh, and the the scene adapts to what you're doing. Uh, and afterwards, you go, you 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 replay it, and you can see where the assailant's rounds went, and where your rounds went, and how you did against the scenario you were up against. So, anyway, uh, it's it's it's. I just want to assure everybody that this is real training, and um, it, I can easily believe that they're the best in the world. Now, on that, Kevin, uh, to give you the mic back, um, it, it goes beyond the screens and the scenarios. Can you just talk a little bit about the special equipment that uh, Virtua brings to the to the party? Yeah, I think one of the themes of the U.S. Army's mo- modernization program that's been in the works since uh, for a couple of years now, three or four or five years, probably been talked about even longer, is uh, the need for real weapons in all of their training programs, uh, rather than what you can what are called simulated weapons, where they basically recreate what looks like a Glock and feels like a Glock, but isn't actually a Glock. Uh, and Vertra has their own, they call it drop-in recoil kits that can go into live weapons uh, and have them compatible with the simulators and not only Vertra simulators, but theoretically any simulator um, because they become electronic. 
Uh, and and those there's there's a strong need and high demand for those both in the U.S. Army and there have been other programs announced uh, throughout the world where these sorts of uh, drop-in kits could be uh, useful. All right. So just to go into some detail, and there's um, pictures of this on the Breakout Investor app, along with I think it was you, Kevin, that found the price list for these uh, these drop-in kits that they make. Uh, I don't know that it would work with a revolver, but if you're dealing with a semi-automatic, uh, the magazine is uh, the CO2. Uh, canister. And then there is um, uh, something that goes, it replaces the firing mechanism. So a police officer can walk in with his sidearm. And if Vertra knows they're coming, they'll have the appropriate recall kit and they can turn the officer's personal sidearm into a simulation ready uh, piece of equipment and, and run through this the, the scenario. The magazine uh, causes the weapon to um, recoil. Uh, and so it's there's not the loud noise, but other than that, it's a very realistic situation. And I saw the machine shop and they had um, drop-in kits for every kind of weapon I can think of. Uh, Glocks, uh, Colts, uh, they they had them for um, uh, AR-15s and M-16s and for AK-47s. So they've got a, a banana magazine for an AK-47 that military somewhere in the world are using for training. Yeah, and I'll add that in the recent conversation I had with the CEO, um, he mentioned that Vertra's recoil, the, uh, how, how much the gun kicks is multiples bigger uh, and more realistic than competition. So I think you have that added real uh, reality to Vertra kits. Now, I, I didn't experience this myself, but I'm told that the number of recoils you're going to get would match how many rounds would be in the magazine. So if you're in a scenario and um, uh, you've used up all of your rounds, this thing's not going to recoil and you're, you're going to be aware you need to reload. All right. So uh, you uh, you gave away the next piece of the story. Uh, Virtra has been selling into the police and uh, border and uh, other protective services in the United States and other countries. And it looks like Vertra is making a play to move into military training. And there's a big story here. And I'm going to just sit back and let you go for a few minutes trying to frame out what the opportunity is with military and what some of the issues are that um, we're seeing. I mentioned the U.S. US Army's modernization program. Um, the Marines are a fast are going to be a fast follow to that, too, and kind of are involved to an extent. Um, but the Army is kind of leading the charge. Uh, there are a few different programs as part of this modernization effort where Vertra has uh, applicable functionality here. One of them is with the IVIS headset, um, which if you know is a XR AR uh, headset that is on the head of the soldiers and it integrates or it's one of, one of the opportunities here is you can do training with it uh, where you're kind of viewing video game uh, characters within your headset. And you can interact with them with your weapon, uh, which design docs, the RFPs that were issued all called for drop-in recoil kits technology. And during the ITSEC presentation, uh, ITSEC conference in December, which is a training and simulation conference, I think the biggest in the world um, in Orlando, Vertra was actually, uh, Vertra's recoil kits were actually being presented by the U.S. Army uh, PEO Stry as, par- as being part of this the training portion of the IVAS program. Uh, right. called- let me let me see if I, the, the thinking is, all right, so a, a lot of 
modern combat is urban combat. So if we can think of some of the games we've played where you you need to go into a building. The idea is that you'll have an integrated system with a VR headset that will put combatants in front of they'll they'll integrate. You're you're both seeing the room that you're literally standing in, and there will be a enemy presented through the VR headset relative to that room. Yep. That's that's the idea. And this would open up a lot of training potential for the military. Uh, and in order to make the training situation realistic, they want the soldier to be carrying the, an, 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 an M16 and an M16 that recoils and an M16 that needs to be reloaded. Uh, and uh, jumping ahead, there has been some issue, I believe, with the integration. If you think about it, a VR headset and looking through the the, the optics of an M16, they haven't quite sorted that out yet. Is, 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 is that your understanding as well? I don't think there's enough details to know that that is an issue, but there are other issues with the IBES program. Uh, that need to be sorted out. So I don't think it's important what specific issue issue is, but there are issues. Off the top of my head, like there's field of view, there's the weight of the of the headset. A bunch of uh, people get like nause- nauseous when using it. But uh, what you said might be right. I don't I don't have enough knowledge to say one way or the other. But like that's not the sticking point. All right. Well, filling in the background, I think it was it was it last calendar year we were expecting a large order to come in related to the modernization program and the IVAS. And it's our understanding the company was ready to go, but there were issues with the the headsets, AR, alternative reality headsets. And that needs to be worked out before we think that um, Virtua will get a, a large recurring order to supply the drop-in kits for the weaponry that the army wants to use in these training programs. I think back in 2021, when the stock jumped maybe to $12 towards the end of the year, maybe October or something, uh, the thought was that IBIS was supposed to roll out and go to production uh, at that time or roughly around that time. Uh, and that's when they announced uh, at when Virtua stock dropped, it was more or less the same day that the news came out that IBIS wasn't rolling out. Now, IBIS has continued forward. And I know that there have been Microsoft's got a what a twenty-one billion dollar contract as the main or the lead on this project. Yep, uh, and that has continued, and they're continuing to work through. They're swapping out some some vendors. They're swapping out some equipment. So as Aaron likes to say, this is business that was delayed, not lost. Is is that our perspective? That's our understanding. Uh, I think I think the modernization effort seems to make sense um, from a, like a. Logical, how does the army advance in the next five years and the upcoming kind of metaverse technology boom, all the all the pieces are coming together. I don't think I don't think it makes sense that they completely drop this program in the near future. Now, this is just one of several. Uh, uh, the, the listener should understand that Kevin is especially adept at looking through very dense and complicated government publications and ferreting out that which is relevant uh, for the companies that he's interested in. And uh, over the course of the last two years, you have identified that there are multiple shots on goal here. And um, if you if you could identify those, and then I'll also suggest that you talk about the fact that the company, responsive to the military opportunities it's seeing, has recruited and now has a co-CEO working out of Orlando, 
which is the center of gravity for the military with respect to these kinds of contracts and these sorts of training programs. So the company is going after multiple significant opportunities, each of which is their, you know, is, is their own project, their own timeline, their own opportunity. Uh, and it's the multitude of these which continues, I believe, to keep Kevin and others interested in the name. These things are coming, they're taking time, but when they arrive, uh, we hope to, uh, that they're material. Could you um, develop that a little bit for us, Kevin? Yeah, and you touched on a good point. This, going back to the IVIS program, I think this one will probably be the largest opportunity uh, because it could, in theory, be used. Headsets were initially planned for most soldiers. Uh, I think right now there's some talk of maybe not every soldier, but maybe squad leaders or something like that. But the opportunity is still uh, relative to the size of the army, whereas the other programs maybe are less so. So I've, I, the IVIS program and Virtuos involvement seems the biggest opportunity. The other opportunities, uh, one's called the Soldier Virtual Trainer, uh, which will probably be rolled out to different uh, stations uh, throughout the U.S., as well as, uh, it's been a bit since I looked into this, but maybe there might be some training opportunities at the point of need. So soldiers can bring with, if you imagine a headset being the trainer, um, soldiers can carry that around with them. Maybe they need one or two per squad or five per squad. So it kind of scales to a similar extent, but I don't think the opportunity is as big uh, in this program. But anyways, uh, these RFPs for the F the Soldier Virtual Trainer Program have again called for drop and recoil kits. There's a we haven't there hasn't been concrete evidence that Virtua is involved in this yet. Um, like I said, there was for the IVIS program, but the requirement for drop and recoil kits. Virtua being kind of the cream of the crop and the, indus the industry is kind of for this type of technology is pretty small uh, anyway. So Virtua is definitely the front runner to the extent that we can make guesses. Um, that's one program. The timeline for SVT Soldier Virtual Trainer is something like there'll be a con another prototype contract announced this year and there'll be a production contract um, announced next year with deliveries roughly in 2025. So it's a bit out, uh, but the opportunities that Virtra can be involved could come up at any point in time over the next, uh, up until then. I think if they're involved, they should be announced by 2024, whenever that contract is announced. Um, but they might get announced as being involved in this 2023 opportunity. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not counting on it, but it's possible. All right. Are there any other programs we should mention on the military side? Yeah, the other, the other part of the training opportunity of the modernization effort uh, for the army is called the live training system LTS. They're essentially trying to replace some existing systems with more advanced technology. And I don't know, logically recoil kits are a possibility. I don't know if they'll use blanks in this program, but it's essentially like live training exercises where right now they use blanks. In theory, if you wanted to use recoil kits, you could and if you use a computer system, you can kind of do like a laser tag on the computer with head headsets or something like that, or you can put on a vest uh, where you're shooting lasers. The that is an opportunity, but I don't know how to gauge it and uh, gauge their possibility of involvement. But the opportunity is coming up. I think a production award is supposed to go next year. You know, you, you just reminded me that um, the, the, the systems are sophisticated, so sophisticated that after my experience, I understood that they could replace live fire training 
you know, police forces, I don't know how often they need to go to the range just so that they're familiar with, with their firearm and they'll, they'll hit what they're aiming at. My experience is you could replace live fire, not, not with blanks per se, but with the compressed air experience that that computer is going to tell you exactly what you would hit. I think you and I have talked about it in the past, thinking about that in the context of a soldier, which is, you know, many times, many times as much training necessary, uh, the number of rounds that would be fired and the overall cost of that. Is this ringing a bell? Did you and I at one point, maybe a year or so ago, talk about how much money the military hopes to save by going to a virtual weapons training versus live fire exercises? We might have. I know that there is definitely a cost savings and Virtual kind of touts this as well on some of their investor decks. But uh, I'll say that I don't think they'll ever get rid of completely live fire exercises. They always say that there's no replacement for that. But there have been studies that say from a marksmanship perspective, if you just use if you use simulators as like a entry level training and then you go out to a range, you'll be better. You'll be equally as good on the range after a certain amount of time than um, being only on the range and never using a simulator. Well, so with you, to the with same it, proficiency, it kind of makes sense to save money and use a simulator. Then, along those lines, my youngest son has got the ping pong game on his uh, is his VR thing, and he tells me he has essentially learned how to play ping pong virtually, and he does carry that into the real life game. I think what you said about the military is correct. If you're dealing with trying to hit a target 100 yards downrange, I can't imagine replacing that with a simulator. But if you're doing, um, if, if they can get to it, if, they, if you're doing training on an indoor environment where it's about getting the red dot on target uh, and um, doing repeated fire, dealing with the recoil, I, I can believe that a simulator would be far superior to anything else that the military can rig up. Uh, because you're not actually sending rounds, uh, you know, into a contained environment. So uh, I think there's a lot to be gained from that. Now, uh, taking a step back, when we when we initially were talking about Vertra two, three years ago, the thinking was that there was going to be a lot of money flowing for police training. This is after, you know, uh, a series of incidents that caught a lot of public attention with respect to police training and conflict de-escalation and such. Uh, we got distracted, I think, by uh, the opportunities that developed with respect to the military. And here we are several minutes into this podcast talking about the future opportunities, things that could happen if ev events occur. But in the meantime, Virtra continues to knock off these uh, police and, um, you know, border, um, I'm thinking Secret Service, but... Uh, but all of these police force type trainings, they're, they're doing quite well uh, with respect to this. And um, in any case, what I'm, what I'm driving at is everybody took their eye off the ball thinking that the military opportunities are on the horizon. They're not imminent. Uh, the stock fell quite low. Uh, what was it? As low as four uh, and uh, just recently shot up. Could you comment on what caused the stock price to shoot up and what people are looking at to be excited about the name again? In my opinion, the company is running quite well without any of the military involvement or any of the military revenue that could come. There's been a lot of talk of better training uh, throughout the U.S. police uh, kind of industry. Uh, federal government is trying to step in and standardize what good training looks like. President at the end of last year or in the middle of last year, something like that, um, signed an executive order to standardize federal training. 
uh, and there are grants out there um, trying to promote leveraging this kind of standardized training. Uh, and in order to get grant money, you need to follow these practices. Um, so from a business perspective, there's a lot of tailwinds uh, and the company has been performing great, growing revenues um, internationally and domestically. And like from my perspective, I thought the stock going down to sub four was uh, not really, uh, it kind of disconnect, it was kind of disconnected from what the company was doing. They had a tough two t- 2022 from some unrelated, like one off things I'd call them. So uh, I'm just checking the watch list uh, to see, you know, what uh, what the community thinks about uh, Vertra. Uh, the breakout community was asked in February and they have a eight dollar and twenty seven cent target. You've got a nine dollar target. I've got an eight dollar target. The stock closed today. Let's see. Five sixty nine. So we we all see a couple of dollars in it. Uh, do you think that the company is going to continue to um Communicate good news. Uh, do you think that this is a good time for people to be eyeing the company, getting back in? Or do you think uh, we're in wait time and there will be time uh, and uh, we'll, we'll alert them by a podcast or otherwise uh, when, when it seems a good time to get in? I always struggle with this one. Ideally, I'd rather be early and right than late and right. I think I'd struggle with that being so, con- not, I don't know if confidence, right? But so the opportunity is so clear uh, in the future that. I want to be involved early, earlier than later. Um, but from a look from like the next 12 months perspective, their backlog is, uh, I think the largest it's ever been or second largest it's ever been uh, for a given quarter. And that kind of portends to good revenues in the coming quarters. Uh, I can't imagine a world where they, I think they've grown their revenue 17 years in a row or something like that. I can't imagine that with the backlog that they already have and some of the industry tailwinds uh, that they won't be able to do close or better than last year. So I, I, I'd say you have a relatively safe floor. And if the military opportunity happens to be delayed until 2024, when those first uh, programs launch or even a bit longer, I don't think the company really deserves to be priced at three or $4. Very well said. I You have some valuation tools that I use to you know, I, I pop in assumptions and it gives me valuation targets. And I think this is one of the most asymmetric that I've looked at. Uh, the, the company could have a significant increase in revenue with good margins, as you say, pretty much any time. It, it's hard to imagine this business, which has been around for quite some time, is consistently growing, is well operated, is developing and penetrating new markets on a monthly basis. I don't see it having much downside. You know, what it's suffering from is just a lack of attention from the market. It was around 12 in 2021 and fell as low as four. And there really wasn't any bad news. What there was is disappointment that really good news was delayed. I've got an $8 target on it, but I think that the stock can and will be worth a lot more. It's just we need something to happen to bring, you know, Mr. Market back to the to the scene. Now, having said all of that, I think it's our general sense that if and when Virtua really starts winning some business, it's likely to be acquired. Uh, is is that your current belief or do you think that that has changed? That's still my belief. I think when you have a kind of niche product that fits in military programs, I think some of those prime prime vendors see that as an opportunity to increase their likelihood of winning uh, future contracts. So I think that sort of thing... Um, 
can lend itself to acquisition. Uh, but personally, I, I'm always, I don't know how to separate the, the military business and the police business. If a prime contractor buys a, buys the recoil kit technology, what are they going to do? Or buys the company, what are they going to do with the police market? And separately, if someone sees the interest in the police opportunity and simulator business, what are you going to do with the recoil kits, which could potentially be sold to military? So some people throw out Axon or some people throw out some of the prime contractors that are big military players, but I don't see it as clearly. I could be wrong and I'm not a, I'm not an expert here. So, but I, I do think the, the company is a prime acquisition target in the future. On, on April 4th, I threw uh, some information on Axon up on the platform and I, I pointed out that this is the taser company and they describe their business as mostly working with police forces, training and the like, and they're growing very rapidly. But the, the, the most exciting thing about looking at Axon as a potential peer is that the company currently trades for 15.5 times sales. Anything, half of that would see Vertro, a multiples of where it's trading now. Um, there is a lot of opportunity if, if uh, Vertro just continues along its current path. And uh, I think anyone would see that, especially somebody that's already got the types of contracts that would really allow exploitation of this unique technology. Yeah. So, as I say, I think this is one of the most uh, um, asymmetric uh, risk profile upside opportunities that the breakout community is looking at right now. And uh, the reason for the podcast is we're all dependent upon you. You've got a clear vision on this one. You're really focused in on it. And we uh, we really benefit as you communicate what you're finding and seeing. I know you, that you talked to uh, management this week. I understand you're going to visit the company next month. And uh, we're really, really looking for, forward to hearing updates um, as um, time passes and this this company has opportunity to exploit uh, the, the opportunities in front of it. Do you have any uh, final wisdom before uh, we call it uh, uh, a podcast? I think the one thing I didn't touch on is much of the commentary from Q1 conference call. And I think CEO, the new CEO, John Givens, has kind of changed the tone of the company. And you see in some of our chat rooms, people get excited about that. Uh, he talked of better margins, uh, quicker turnaround times, and operational efficiency internally. Uh, and I think that's just like another uh, added added perk to the uh, kind of adds to a higher floor. Uh, for the company, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have better operational efficiency, you'll have better margins, uh, less opex, less spending, uh, and that kind of leads to higher profits as the baseline. So, you know, I haven't had a chance to listen to the call, but I did see Scuttlebutt about how the call was different. There was something about the way he communicated, an informality, or he left the script. Could you explain that uh, for for those of us who might not get to uh, the actual broadcast? Yeah, d don't quote me on this, but I'm I'm pretty sure at one point during the call, John said, "I can't read this script anymore," and just kind of went. Not rogue. I think it still sounded like he was turning pages and looking at what's on there, but it it was kind of a bit different. Um, but I, but I think the the key thing was just John's willingness to talk about some of the inefficiencies operationally. Um, how sometimes it takes like three months to turn around a simulator, and the comp the team is now trying to get down. To, they set goals for a seven day turnaround time for a simulator uh, sale. I think CEO Ferris said maybe a thirty day turnaround time would be more realistic but the team wants to go on seven days um and other things like this where it seems like john is really focusing on getting on building a more sustainable or scalable uh kind of back office structure now what's uh, interesting here we should explain is that john is a industry veteran he's been a part of companies that have gone down the path for Trizon. 
and he was brought in. He's made been made co-CEO. He's running the operations out of Orlando. And your point is that he is being transparent about some of the issues that needed improvement and that he is seeing the improvement. The fact that we could get a guy like this inside of Virtra tells us unambiguously that there's really significant opportunity. Uh, and this communication apparently was uh, really confidence inspiring. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. John has a John's the company he worked at prior to this was BI Sim, which is uh, their their software VBS uh, visual virtual battle space or something like that uh, is used by like the majority of militaries across the world. So getting him involved kind of does. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that it it says that there is a clear opportunity here, and John wants has an opportunity opportunity to help exploit it. All right. Well, I look forward to our next uh, opportunity to podcast and update folks on uh, Vertra. Uh, we are breakout investors. The head of the Curve podcast is meant as an easy on-ramp to understanding today's company and the research and collaboration we do. Please join us for a discussion on Vertra and for other small and microcap names with catalysts on our discussion platform at app.breakoutinvestors.com or via Apple or Android App Store downloads. The Breakout Investor Ahead of the Curve podcast is syndicated and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, listen, and give a five-star review. Some or all the speakers may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. The views of this podcast expressed are those of the speakers, not Breakout Investors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Neither Breakout Investors nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information presented by this podcast and any liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, therefore is expressly disclaimed. No one on this podcast is an investment advisor, known as providing investment advice. Before investing in any company's stock, you must do your own research. Thank you for listening.